Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Keith. Ender, what's the crack? How's it going? I like your uh, backdrop. Do you like it? Do you like it? It's, um, it's you know, loads of people said when um, when they were going to go uh, online with stuff, they basically went to their kitchen and, you know, turned on the phone. So I decided I'd have to up my game. So uh, I put in the, the massive big green screen behind me and uh, I put in a light. It's not doing me justice at the moment. And I put in a bit of a microphone, Keith, and away we went. Wow. Good How job. are you? That looks good. Not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. Sorry about the. Uh, I had to I actually had to leave the house and go somewhere and uh, <laughs> the excitement. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not used to it. Not used. To I know. It. I know. I know. Do you know? I was. I was just saying to my wife there, Keith. The, yesterday, the doorbell rang, and um, you know, this time last year, if the doorbell went, like I have three kids, and it would be you answered. No, you answered. I'm playing a game. I'm doing something more important. And now the doorbell goes. There's an actual avalanche down the stairs. Somebody to meet another human. <laughs> the excitement of it. It's Pure like, excitement. Like when the doorbell rang in the eighties because you weren't doing anything anyway. Yeah, it's like yeah. Or the phone went in the house in the eighties. Like who was it? It was. It was a phone call. You know. You'd be literally killing each other to try and answer it. You know. Yeah. The funny thing was the uh, the the delivery guy was every bit as excited to see somebody as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, crazy days. I I went. I went to the bank the other day and I was wearing a full balaclava, glasses and a hat because it was cold. And I was just thinking under normal circumstances, she would have pressed the emergency button and rang the special branch. And, you know, and it was completely acceptable, you know, that I was it was covered from head to toe. You know, it's mad. I know my uh, I know my delivery guy, my DPS delivery guy. His name is Gary. And uh, I know. Yeah, him, I know him quite well. Now. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> Just, just we we've become friends, you know. That's my social circle now. My my delivery guys and the postman, you know. It's the Keith Walsh podcast. It's essential, like your breakfast. It will get you up and going. There's the things you didn't know. Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh podcast. It's the Keith Walsh podcast. Give you energy like buck fast. And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle, it's the Keith Walsh podcast. Yeah. Aiko, yes, good evening. It was the night before tomorrow when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a grouse. You see? Um, how are you? It is the Keith Watch Podcast. It's t- um, the 22nd of March as we speak. 11 minutes past 10. I'm a little bit earlier tonight than I was the other night. I'm hoping that I'll be out of here, out of this room, podcasts up. By midnight, before the witching hour. <laughs> That's my evil laugh, by the way. Um, my name is Keith Walsh. Also, uh, how are you doing? It is. Uh, 
If you're listening to this in the future, we are still in lockdown in the present. They're talking about lockdown till June. I hear Italy have gone into lockdown, further full lockdown. The Germans are experiencing a fourth wave. The Brits are all getting vaccinated. As far as I can see, that's all we that's all we're thinking of is the fucking Brits. All getting vaccinated over there, sneering at us there. The bastards. And uh Yeah. Some might say we just can't seem to get a handle on it at all. Um some might wonder why we don't just close the borders and just shut up shop for a little while, you know. Shut down Ireland for a year, right? Don't let anybody in. Don't let anybody out. We all have our holidays in Ireland. We all hang around, buzz around with each other for the year. No one allowed in. No one allowed out. And, uh, you know, you can go out if you've, you know, serious operation or, you know, something serious. You know, you really have to go and see the Pope to ask him something. But other than that, lock the airports down close it up six months give the airlines a few quid and uh, or you know Ryanair can just stop flying into Ireland for a while there's not you know Aer Lingus can just base itself in London for a while I don't know I don't know how these things work I don't know what I'm talking about but sure you just lock the place down and then start again come out brand new I wonder would the um, would the would the loyalists have a problem with that? But they probably wouldn't, because like they they're from Ireland, they just happen to be loyal to the Queen and say they're British. So I don't think that I don't I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. I'd be del- I'd more than happy. I mean, I I look. I'd love a sun holiday. I would love. Jeez, bit of sun. I was out walking today and I wore shorts. I was out running yesterday and I wore shorts. I've been wearing shorts a lot lately, but I've just noticed how the legs have gone a bit skinny and they're white. Like, that is not a good look. You know, for me. Like, I've... As you get older, you've less and less going for you. And I always find, like, a... You know, 40-something-year-old man with a tan just, you know, looks that little bit better. I know a lot of people who are into running and some of them not you Fergal you look great but some of them just run a lot and I don't think they're eating enough food so I just think glad you're you're going grey there and you're skinny and you know you're too skinny now and you look you know you're only 30 you look about 90 relax the cacks not all of them of course especially not you Fergal if you're listening Um, so I just think you know I need to keep the calories up a little bit. You need a little bit of... Around your face, you need a little bit. You can't be too gaunt. See, the grey hairs and the gauntness, that's... You're gone. You're over the hill. Far away, never coming back. A little bit of hair. A bit of dye in the beard. You know, to keep it... give it, <laughs> Darken it up. A bit of a tan. You're fucking laughing. You're good for another ten years. Still on the... You know, people are still looking at you going, he looks well, he looks good. You know, people might say to Suzanne, saw your husband the other day, looking great. That's all I want from life. That's me done, happy. 
So Keith, looking great. But I see, what? He is not. Doesn't look that. You know, that's me. That's where my happiness lies. Anyway, lock the country down. We could just hibernate for a little while. We just get we get loads of work done. Lock it down. Everybody do a bit. Fix the roads. Whatever. You know. We just buzz around fixing things, getting ourselves in order. Everybody get their NCT done. Everybody get their whatever. Anyone that missed the driving test. There's loads of things we could be getting done. Everyone get up to date on their TV license, and then you know once everything's sorted in a year's time. You know, you could have like teams of people going around to houses going, are you okay? Going, yeah, well, I need me license done and the car has to be NCT. And then we go, okay, let's sort all that out for you. Get it sorted. Move on to the next house. All the bits that are hanging over everyone's head, get them all sorted. And then we open up the country in a year and everyone's like stress-free, nothing hanging over them, happy days. Take on the world. That's my plan. Anyway, my guest for this evening is a young man. I'd say he likes his son holiday now. He's, um, although I'd say he wouldn't be able to sit sit still for five minutes on a lounger. Um, his name is Enda O'Doherty. And he's a mad lad. Well, he's official. No, I'm not just, you know, it's not just me saying that off the top of my head. Uh, he is... Um, an inspirational speaker and endurance athlete who has taken on some of the world's toughest challenges. His endurance, drive and passion and ability to convey a message have made him a much sought after speaker. So he's one of these guys who come into your place of work or into your business or wherever and he'll give give a talk about um, endurance and, you know, turning things around and you know, trusting the process and sticking with something and having a goal and, you know, how to know when you're stuck somewhere and you need to get out of it and how to get out of it. Uh, Ender's endurance CV is astounding. He's pushed his physical and mental limits far beyond marathon running. Me, me with me two marathons. Listen to this. He has completed Ironman Sweden and Ironman UK, one of the world's toughest endurance races, with a four kilometre swim. Holy fuck. Excuse my language. Followed immediately by a 180 kilometre bike ride. Followed by a full marathon. I have cycled. 100. 110 kilometres I think. But to do that. That was tough. To do that after a 4 kilometre swim. How long would that take you? Holy shit. And then a full marathon. Holy fuck. Um, an incredible endurance athlete whose mindset and mental toughness sets him apart completing nine marathons in eight days that's not lads that's not the worst that he um, he travelled from Belfast to Walford carrying a fridge and made an attempt to climb Mount Kilimanjaro 19,000 feet with a washing machine in his back I was actually talking to him in this about um, there was a lad I remember reading the book a comedian called Tony Hawks I just couldn't remember it in the moment. Obviously, I've looked it up since and I have all the details to hand. Uh, Tony Hawks is the English comedian who hitchhiked around Ireland in, uh, with a fridge. Uh, and a very, uh, very funny book. But he also wrote another book called Playing the Moldovan Team. He, uh, he had a drunken bet with a friend that he could beat. England were playing Moldova. They were in a pub having a drink. Uh he said 
about them. Like he, England should have been winning by more, and he's going sure I could beat the Moldovans, the whole team. And he, and his friend said, and "What?" And he said, "Well, I beat them on my own or something." And then so his friend said, "What?" Are, and the conversation got around to in tennis. So, so anyway, the bet was made that he had to find, track down, and find each member of the Moldovan football team and play them in a game of tennis. And he wrote a book about it. And it's it's very good. But enough about that book. Enda O'Doherty is my guest. His book is called I'm Fine. And uh, it, uh, it basically it's it's his, you'll hear about him talking about his life. It's uh, his journey from the booze to, not the booze, to going up a fucking mountain with a fridge. Like, I remember w- when I was drinking trying to run up the down escalator in Covent Garden so you'd imagine going up Kilimanjaro with a fridge is the type of thing you'd do with a, with a washing machine is the type of thing you do when you're drinking but no this is long after he'd given up the drink so there you go so you see he is mad anyway uh, I won't whitter on any further I'll introduce the guest it is episode 82 of the Keith Walsh podcast and I'm pleased to introduce you to the wonderful, the crazy, the very nice and funny and pleasant um, Enda O'Doherty. Enjoy. Thank you very much for getting in touch and lovely to, to, to set this up. And and uh, I'm very excited to find out all about you because I've <laughs> I, I've read about your escapades, which we'll get to, especially the fridge. Was it a fridge or washing machine? Washing machine. Yeah, washing machine. Okay. Those fridge carriers are commoners. Commoners. I have nothing to do with them. They're they're a different branch. We're the washing machine brigade. <laughs> because there was a guy who hitchhiked around Ireland with the fridge. Can't remember his name. There was a guy, yeah, put a fridge and went to pubs around Ireland and had, had a great old time of it. But um, yeah, no, I was different, different crew, different crew. Keith, the washing machine. Um, do you know the whole washing machine thing? And the it came about as an accident. So I had done two Ironman events as part of my mental health recovery and as part of my ongoing battle with alcoholism. I um, I went, you know, bought 50 tons of Lycra, you know, Lycra pajamas, Lycra bed sheets, Lycra pillowcases, uh, Lycra covers for the dog. Everything was Lycra. And I did my Ironman events. And my wife said to me, or I said to her, you know, I'm going to do something for charity. I, I sort of, I was in a stronger place and I appreciated being happier and, you know, not feeling depressed or not feeling suicidal. And um, I said, I want to give something back. So I said, I'd raise funds. In this case, it was for Pieta House. And, and my wife said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I'll do something really hard. Like I'll, I'll run from Belfast to Waterford. And um, so Irish women are brilliant. They have a wicked sense of humor. And my wife says, is that all? And of course, I couldn't help myself. I said, well, in that case, I said, I'll carry a washing machine. And she said, go on. And I said, I will. And geez, nine months later, I came out of the Europa Hotel with a washing machine strapped to my back and 12 of my best friends with me. And off we went, you know. But um, yeah, it's, it's or as it's known in our house, Midlife Crisis Part 3. Yeah. But, uh, are you on your third Midlife Crisis, are you? What, what are you on Listen, now? I'm not counting. There are in, listen, I changed the car last week and someone said to me, is that the Midlife Crisis car? And I said, yeah, it is. Everything is, everything is Midlife Crisis, but... The, you know, that we were saying was that the washing machine was the fridge. I carried a washing machine and it was, you know, a really strong, simple mental health message. Um, something I know that, that you echo loads on Instagram and on Facebook is that um, 
like eight people will lose their lives in Ireland this week to suicide. That was happening for years before COVID and will happen years after COVID. Um, and many of those people died because they were carrying a load, a hidden secret that they didn't feel they could talk about. And they felt they had no option out, but to take, you know, way, no way out, but to take their own life. So the message with the washing machine, Keith, was really simple one. Don't carry something stupid around, you know, and it's not the size of the load that you're carrying. It's the, it's the length of time. So, you know, ask for help. Share the load was my simple message. And I suppose the other message was this. When I was at my best or my worst, whatever way you want to look at it, um, I had the biggest smile on my face. I was in work, suited, booted, groomed. You know the guy like that had five dirty jokes for you every day and really put you in good form? Like I was Mr. Smiley, Mr. Happy, Mr. Positive, Mr. Energetic. And the truth was I was dying. Um, I was dying slow motion suicide with, with maybe four or five bottles of whiskey a week, you know? What, what did that look like then? So to your work colleagues, what did it look like to your wife? Um... Hang on, I'm going to do a shameless plug and show you something because I can illustrate um, what it looked like to. So I, he says, I swore, I see people do this and tell you I hate them. So I wrote, I wrote a book about it, okay? But the book will save us 10 minutes of a conversation. So the title of the book is I'm Fine and the reality was the photograph. You know, they were completely different. So, I mean, the thing about addiction, the thing about alcoholism for me is the deception. Um... Like I lied to my wife, to my kids, to my employer, to I lied to everyone. I especially lied to myself for a lot, a lot of the time. Um, I was drinking four bottles of whiskey a week, comfortable. Um, my Friday night drink was a pint glass of vodka and I nearly always drink a bottle of cough syrup with that. Um, but here's the mad thing is like people think alcoholism is, you know, they think you're going to live under a bridge in a cardboard box with a dog called Freddy and eat kebabs out of the bin, you know, and only one of those is true. Well, obviously the kebabs. I love kebabs. I was going to say, I was going to say the dog. <laughs> Dog's called Freddy. No, it's the kebabs. <laughs> but um, yeah, the thing the thing was, you know, that was hidden. You know, when I started campaigning for better, better mental health services where I live in Waterford, I remember the first time I spoke at an event about mental health and, you know, there were quite a few colleagues and people, family and friends there. And like a lot of them spoke to me after and said, geez, we're so sorry that we didn't help you or God, we didn't realize it was so bad for you that you were contemplating suicide. And, you know, they felt genuine care and remorse. And I said, look, the deal here is the first you would have heard was a tragic phone call because I was going to keep that hidden. I was, you know, stupid enough to think that, you know, a strong silent was the way to go. Um, and I didn't realize that, you know, that I needed help badly. I suppose the, the thing about alcohol, too, and your mental health is like a lot of people medicate. Like, I know I have depression. I know I have anxiety. I know I have sleep disorder. Um, but I didn't know when I was drinking because all of those things were like, you know, just wrapping life up and, and made it made it easy, you know, or easier. You know, um, I suppose for me, Keith, I didn't really fall apart, ironically, till I stopped drinking. Because uh, when I stopped drinking, like, I didn't know how to tell my wife I loved her when, she, when I was sober. I didn't know how to dance at a wedding sober. There's a ter have you done that yet? I think I have done it in the past. It's yeah, ter yeah. terrifying. I, I, I fake, I faked it. Yeah, <laughs> faked happiness. Yeah, fake fine. Um, I didn't know how. Like the, the mad thing was, I was what fifteen years now. I'm dry, but like the crazy, I didn't know how to go to bed and sleep at night. Do you know? I was like a newborn baby. I'd go to bed and I'd like looking at the ceiling, going, "Jesus, what happens next?" I had lost the ritual of relaxation, slow your breathing, go sleep. Um, because the way I went to sleep was blow the head off myself with some whiskey or brandy every night, you know. 
what was the uh, what was the reason for the self medication, Enda? Um, what were you blocking out? Yeah, do you know what? Like, I, I, I think, I think what you know. Sometimes, like all addictions are completely different. Um, I had been mugged on Grafton Street, ironically, during my brother's confirmation, and it had, you know, it got it was a violent altercation. Um, I had been involved in an armed robbery um, in my parents' house. Somebody had smashed our front door and come through with shotguns, which wasn't great. Um, and I was also assaulted when I was in college, like just randomly someone decided to break my nose. But um, I think because it was the 80s, you know, you just got on with life. You know, there was you didn't talk about it. You just kept going, you know. I just... I did an interview with Jason Byrne about this very subject, not this subject, but we talked a little bit about this. And I said, traumas aren't the problem. Like life is mad and crazy fucking things happen to everybody. People die. Mm. You get fucking beaten up. You encounter people that are supposed to love you that don't love you. Like it's just, you know, life is just arbitrary. It's just you don't know what's going to happen. That's not the problem because life is a struggle and it's about finding the tools, the right tools to help you enjoy the struggle as much as you can. You had your, so when those incidents happened to you, the incidents weren't necessarily like, they're scary. That's scary shit that can happen to you. Mm. That it wasn't, you know, I don't, I'm not putting in words in your mouth, but there has to be then somebody to verify what you went through, to tell you that you're allowed to feel like shit and feel sad. Yeah, there, Keith, you're frozen. Oh, sorry. Um, I think, you know, no, you froze there for a second. I was going to say it was it's a case sometimes it was a case of keep going, I suppose for me, like I discovered, like with my mental health, I'm it's my happiness and my mental health isn't an accident anymore. It's something I actively pursue. Do you know, I don't get up in the morning and hope I have a good day. I, I'm, I do 20 things that guarantee myself a good day, you know, so like when I eat junk food, I feel crap. So I don't eat junk food. Um, when I, I have to exercise every day, not because it's good for your your heart or, you know, I have to exercise. I have to get sweaty and out of breath because it keeps me calm. And, um, you know, for me, sleep is a big trigger. Like if you text me or email me or phone call me, you will not get me after half nine. I am in bed like a baby in the minion pajamas, quilt up to here, gone, game over, because sleep is so vital for my happiness. Um, you know, I've, I, I suppose I don't, you know, the tough times that I went through, um, sure, I wish they were different, but I'm also very, very grateful for the lessons I've learned and the person it's made. It's made me a kinder dad. It's made me a better husband. It's made me, um, you know, I, I work in the main now as a public speaker, motivational speaker. And, you know, it's given me a viewpoint and a taste of life that, you know, a lot of people don't have. You know, COVID-19 was ghastly because... Like, I know people who for years would have thought the whole mental health thing was, you know, snowflake generation gone mad and anxiety doesn't really exist. And a panic attack is like a Big Mac we imported from America. But a lot of people for the first time ever experienced anxiety, stress, depression, a tidal wave of, of issues coming post-COVID with um, people who have medicated themselves with food and with alcohol to get through the pandemic, you know. But um, I think the other thing, too, is... You know, my alcoholism or my break, you know, my breakdown in mental health. Um, I suppose, you know, one of the things I've learned is I've learned to love me. Like what's necessarily what I was perceiving as my weakness and my worst things is actually the best thing about me. So I am Captain OCD. 
So uh, it's, but the thing is, like I, I was talking to someone the other day and I said, you know, if you put me in a room with snakes and ladders and come back a day later, I'll have 15 strategies. I'll have bought 25 books on Amazon. I'll watch every video on YouTube and I will talk about it nonstop for a month. Right. It will be my entire life. I'll probably get the snakes and ladders tattoo. But the thing is, that's OK. That's me. Um, but rather than be addicted to, you know, vodka or brandy i'm now addicted to like my physical fitness or you know my trade as a speaker or you know my friendships or my learning or my physical health you know or my relationship with my kids like i've turned that addiction you know i just focus it like a sniper and it's 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 unbelievable because it's it's gone from something that was killing me to something that has elevated me to having a book out like i got an email the other day and i'm still scratching whatever hair i have left is like someone was inquiring about the media rights about a movie about an Irishman that ran up, uh, ran from Belfast to Waterford with a washing machine in his back and then decided it was a good idea to climb Kilimanjaro with a washing machine. Like my life has totally changed because I've accepted who I am. I've been kinder to me and I've just used my strengths as my weaknesses, you know? Do you think it's mad? <laughs> do you, it is. Well, it's, 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 I'm, I love it because I'm, I've, I've a year, a year of sobriety. A year off the booze, whether whatever. Yeah, we see what happens. Do you think that the that you were trying? You you're, you seem like a kind of a high octane, high energy person. Do you think that because you grew up in Ireland in the eighties, you felt like maybe booze helped you kind of dampen? Like you were too much. Did you feel like you're too much for other people, and you needed to give people a different version of yourself? Um. No, <laughs> the funny thing, the fun. No, I don't think so. And I think the funny thing is, like, you know, I was at a wedding there a couple of months back, and my cousin, and you know, a couple of my cousins came over and said, "Geez, how many points you after having?" Because I was dancing like, I was like a crazy man. The shirt was stuck to my back. I was throwing my wife around like a teddy bear. And to the untrained eye, they'd say that fella has a skin full. But the only thing I was full of was happiness. You know, um, I hadn't had any drink. I think you know, if I, you know, back to being kind to yourself. The problem with me is too much. I talk too much, I smile too much, I eat too much, I care too much, I watch too much rugby. Everything is too much. But I'm just careful now to make sure that the too much is, you know, that it's it's something that's going to help me or help other people, you know. Um, like the two enders, like I've written about in the book, there's the end of 1.1 and the end of 2.1. Like it's almost like different people. We, we, do you know, did you did you go mad in the garden, Keith, during lockdown? Like my, my lawn now looks like a billiard table and... Like we have every plant shrub known to mankind. And my wife is currently outside the window here. I can see her and she's like doing this manic uh, manicuring. Like it's immaculate. You know, we've never had a garden. It's like I've moved into someone else's house, you know. I'm not that guy. We, we I'm not that guy. <laughs> okay. Oh, neither am I. I have that wife who helps me to be that guy. But okay. we, um, our garden shed was falling apart, you know, and uh so like everyone during lockdown, we had a few quid because we got holidays. And I asked my wife, you know, what we do with the money? She said, let's get a new garden shed because that thing is embarrassing, you know. So we got a garden shed and part of the deal was we had to tidy up before it came. And when we tidied up, I found bottle after bottle of whiskey and brandy that I had long since forgotten that I drank secretly and threw under the garden shed. And um, it's funny, actually, the book was just finished and I rang the publishers and I said, guys, look, I want to put a chapter in about COVID. And they went, no, no, it doesn't end. It doesn't work like that. There's a printing schedule, there's distribution. And I said, I want to write this chapter about how I dealt with lockdown and I want to write about my garden shed. And they were like, oh, mother of God, this fellow is crazy. Now he wants to write about his shed. But what happened with the shed was a lot of bottles of red wine. And I was, I was, I was explaining this to someone who doesn't understand addiction that 
my wife would say, you know, would you get a bottle of wine in the shed? You know, the stuff you brought back from France. And I'd go out to the shed to get a bottle, a nice bottle of Chianti. But for an alcoholic, I would pop the bottle of Chianti, drink the entire bottle of Chianti in 30 seconds. I would then open a second bottle of Chianti, go into the sitting room, pour her a large glass and pour me a small glass. And when she'd say, will you have a second glass of wine? I'd say, you know, I'll be careful tonight. I have to drive tomorrow morning. You know, and that's the, it's the deceit. It's the deception, you know, um, like if I was going to a social outing in Warkeith, you know, say it was in, in, in Waterford where I'm living, I'd say to my wife or family, I'll walk in, thereby getting the kudos for being the responsible citizen. But I walked in so I could drink an agon of whiskey on the way to the event. I would definitely turn up to the event an hour early so I could have three or four pints of my own. And when anyone came, I'd have a pint. And they'd say, will you have a second one end? And I'd say, do you know what? I'm wrecked tonight. I probably won't. But I probably had more alcohol than anyone who was there. And that's, you know, that's the, the key, like I say, the key to addiction is is dishonesty. It's it's not uh, it's it's not pretty when I look back now. It's like someone else's life, you know, but that's that's what I was doing. That's what I was living. And I, I was working with um, I was working with a large corporate group yesterday as a speaker thingy. And, you know, I was telling them about, you know, the dangers of alcohol in Ireland, you know, like <laughs> it's gas like the baby's 18, you know, you can have your first formal pint, you know, the baby's 21, we'll go out and we'll get smashed. We won the county final, but we feckin' filled that trophy tonight. We lost the county final, feck it, we'll drink anyway. Shawnee Murphy died, did you like him? No, I hate him. Come on, there's a do up in the pub, we'll go and have a few pints. Uh, first communion, um, you know, stick the kids in the bouncy castle and we we'll go into the sitting room and have a small uh, lake of Prosecco. Uh, confirmation, well, it worked for the first communion, so we'll do it again, you know, and on and on and on. And I got caught up in that merry-go-round. Now, don't get me wrong. I love alcohol. I love the positive side of it. I love the Irishness of it. You know, that it is part of us and our culture. But um, I was, it, you know, I just got caught up in it and um, there was no escape, you know. Like Cheltenham this week, I watched every race and I enjoyed every race. Uh, Cheltenham a couple of years ago, do you know, if the first race was off at, say it was off on Tuesday at one o'clock, I'd have to be in the pub by about Monday. <laughs> well, you know? What was your, how did you manage to work? Like were you, I mean, I you think, were I think running I was compensate. I compensated. So I'd come in earlier than everyone. I'd stay longer than everyone. I, I, I had my, sh like there was one teacher, wouldn't have been a particular fan of his. I was working, you know, as assistant principal in a secondary school. You could shave in my shoes. They were that clean. You know, I'd go out of my way to be extra helpful for my students and be extra prepared. But like I said, the facade was, you know, I mean, well, it's a scary thing to say, but I used to go for, um, when I was at my lowest, I'd go for a walk. And I would see, um, you know, trucks or something large come die. And for someone who's been in, um, you know, for people who don't understand mental crisis or mental health crisis, like getting hit by a truck was less pain than the, the that physical pain, which obviously would kill you and take your life. That was considerably less than the emotional pain I was in, than the panic and the sadness that I was dealing with. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that I never made that decision. You know, I, I, as a mental health campaigner, you know, unfortunately over the years, I've been to a lot of funerals of people who've died by suicide. And one of the things I do note, Keith, is that, you know, the sadness or the pain that the person who took their own life had, that sadness does not disappear. What happens is it gets multiplied by about a thousand and it gets handed to people that you really love and care about and would never want to hurt, you know. So I, I'm very grateful I didn't make the decision, but 
I mean, that's all. It's, I think one of the horrible thing was, do you know when someone takes a photograph and the camera goes flash? And you, you know that red red eye where you see the, the imprint on your on your retina? Like I had a period there for a couple of months when every time I closed my eyes, all I saw was my own memorial card, you know, and the, which was just haunting that I just couldn't shake shake that sadness, you know. But um, fast, well, well, fast. Go on, yes, yeah, sorry. No, I was going to say fast forward a few a few years and, you know, I'm comfortable to talk about it and I'm comfortable to help people and I'm comfortable to make a difference, you know. What were, what, so if you were going into work in a school. Yeah. And you had quite a important role in that school. What was the more like, what was it like? Like I, tr- I try and explain to people because I worked on breakfast radio. So I used to try and explain to people when the alarm went off in the morning, it was like having a fucking heart attack every morning, like literally like yeah. it's the only way. I, <laughs> the only way I could explain it. And you're literally like, OK, there's the heart attack out of the way. Now let's get on with it, you know, and dragging yourself. Yeah. Uh, how did you like what did you have a ritual? I always think of your man in I'm not going to be able to. uh remember the name of the fucking book or the film but it's the guy who takes all the he works in wall street he's got this he's, he, he buy he he lives in this penthouse he's a he's a he's a he's a murderer <laughs> obviously you're you know, oh american psycho is it american psycho where he's yeah, got yeah, the, yeah he's got the ritual with the with the, yeah, with the face cream the face, yeah the face cream with the like he, he looks pristine like you know were you were yeah you, were you yeah a bit of, like that a yeah. bit like that you know and like i suppose the sadness you know, it's, um, you know, if I met you, I, I would be, you know, you'd say, God, he's great crack. He's so funny. He's in great form, you know, but um, privately, no, I wasn't. You know, I, I really, really just couldn't see a way out of this. And it just got worse and worse and worse, you know. But uh, yeah, I was. I was. <laughs> thanks, Keith. I was that American psycho without in the, terms, without, of, the, in terms of appearance. But. Without the dead bodies and the polythene hanging in the house, yeah, I didn't, didn't, I didn't kill anyone. No, I didn't. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe there was. You know, it's it's funny. Like I'm, 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 my brain is like uh, flicking here through good and bad times. You know, and, and strange things that have happened the last few years. You know, like uh, I'm sure you love this, Keith. But the first time I got, I got off a bus in Kilimanjaro, and I had 130 people with me, and I had a washing machine strapped to my back, and I was heading out to climb Kilimanjaro. And you know, the Africans there had heard about Irish people and that we were a bit wacky and we were very positive and we were very funny. And geez, if you could see their faces, you know, they were, they were like, "What the hell is going on here?" You know, but um, like. Those kind of memories flood to me now just as readily as the sad or the dark times, you know? Of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us about the actual... Well, I, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that you managed to... <laughs> One of the things that struck me, and this is interesting, I don't know what, what you'll make of this, uh, and we, we probably need a psychologist here listening to this, but <laughs> when you said that you left the hotel in Belfast with a washing machine strapped to your back and you had 12 friends helping you, I was like... Where did he get twelve friends? I'm not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's, it's not the Come washing. Here, I, uh, it's not look, the washing gonna, machine. I, I, I'll send you. I'll send you. I'll send you. I'll send you a copy of the book, right? Um. So the first you love this. So the first day we, I went into town of Waterford with my wife, and I hadn't really told anyone that I was going to do this mad mental health campaign thing, and I needed to buy a bag. Now I don't know if you've ever gone into a shop and asked someone for a bag big enough to carry a washing machine, right? <laughs> It's 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 what I'd imagine someone on heroin does, you know, because your brain is completely fried. So I go into this camping store and uh, 
I walk up to the, this guy and he looks like sort of a giant hairy bear grills. And I say to him, he said, what kind of bag would you like? And I said, your strongest one. And he shows, I said, he said, what, what size? I said, your biggest one. And I said, do you have anything bigger? And I just couldn't bring myself to say actually what I'm going to do. So eventually there was no way around it. And I said to this guy, I said, look, I need a bag big enough to carry a washing machine or to strap a washing machine to my back because I'm going to run from Belfast to Waterford. And this guy just paused and he said, just give me a second. I told him why I was doing it and I told him, you know, it was going to be a fundraiser for Pieta House. And um, so he went off and he talked to his manager and I was there going, this is great. I'm going to get a free pair of socks here now or, you know, I'm going to get something uh, sponsored or something. And this guy came back and he said, uh, right, that's sorted. I said, what's sorted? He said, I've just spoken to my boss. He said, I'm taking two weeks off. I'm coming with you. And I went. But we just met. He said, I, I'll tell you two things. He said, one, you seem like a really interesting guy. And two, he said, this is going to be fucking epic. <laughs> wow. So I go back, pardon my language. I go back to meet my wife. She goes, did you get the bag? And I go, no, but I, there's three of us now. Because obviously she was going to come and support me. And I said, I got this giant, big, hairy guy called Owen, uh, Owen Keane. And uh, I said, Owen's going to come with us. And not only did he do Belfast Waterford, he, he was like my bodyguard through uh, Kilimanjaro as well, you know. Wow. So, yeah, crazy stuff. And he was the kind of guy you want. Like he like I say, he camping and, you know, outdoor life is his. He, he was telling me he got caught in a blizzard in Scotland on blizzard training. You know, when you go to blizzard training camp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. But he said he knew it was like he knew he was with the right people when someone defecated into a plastic bag into a Ziploc bag and they were passing the poo around because there was heat in the guy I had with me he was, he, you couldn't have found a better guy you know but like the people that reached out to me Keith you know the, the, the appeal of you know listen congrats on the play I, I cannot wait to go and see it I'm really excited and, and the way you're addressing mental health like one of the reasons I reached out to you is you know alcoholism, depression, mental health, generally, they're not very positive topics. You know, most people are like, oh, my God, this, you know, if he talks about depression once more, I'm depressed myself. If he talks about drink once more, I'm going to buy a six pack. Um, but I think what you bring to it and what I tried to bring to it is, you know, honesty and a bit of happiness and a bit of crack and a bit of joy. You know, I did fall. I did get cracks, but I'm not broken and I'm back in one piece. And, you know, I know when I speak, to, when I speak to people, particularly, you know, they say they, they wheel me out at some corporate gig and here he is, Endo Doherty, and he's carries his washing machine in the country and people are expecting misery, you know, and there's maybe two minutes of misery, but the majority of it is happiness and upbeat because you have a choice. You know, you can decide what you'll focus on. But um, like our Facebook page was called the Mental Health Challenge and Jeez, the people that reached out to me and the people who came with me, like you couldn't have imagined the quality of people that I ended up being surrounded by. And, you know, it's a good mental health lesson. You know, if you sit down with someone who's miserable, you'll be pretty miserable within 10 minutes. Whereas if you surround yourself with people who are full of energy, uplifting, good people, you know, that rubs off on you just as well. And, and um, I couldn't tell you individually how they all came, but everyone who came on the walk or everyone who climbed Kilimanjaro had either had a really tough mental health time or had lost family or friends to suicide, you know, and they got they got what I was talking about. Um, you know, we were eight days going uphill, sleeping on the ground in the jungle in Africa. We started at plus 40 and we ended up minus 20 degrees. 
I never heard a single person complain once. Right. And they were the kind of people that that when they saw when they felt terrible or they're having a hard time, their natural instinct was to help the person beside them. And that's what made them smashing people to be with, you know, and that's what made the two adventures be be successful, you know. Does your the one thing that happened with me was when I went to started therapy and uh, sort of changed as a person. My wife noticed a big change in me. Like it was kind of like being married to somebody different. <laughs> uh, how did your How did your wife deal with who you were at your your What did you call yourself? End of two point zero. End of point yeah two point zero. Jeez, that's a great question. You know, like I, 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 it's funny when I read something you've written or I look at some of your posts, like there's so many overlaps with people with addiction, whether it's gambling or there's alcohol. Um, like she, she would say I'm a lot more calm. Uh, I'm a lot more measured. I'm, I'm a lot kinder. I'm not, I'm not as volatile. Do you know, I, the filter is there. Like if I'm angry about something, I can either wait till the anger subsides then rationally communicate, explain how I feel rather than explode like a a volcano, you know. Um, I I, I think I'm a lot more considerate, you know. Um, The other side of it is I'm not, you know, I'm I'm a lot, I'm probably a bit more manic, you know, (laughs) in that, in a nice way, in that um, one of the ways that I keep myself happy is by keeping myself busy. And um, like I get out of bed at 5.30 in the morning and I, go till I drop at 10 o'clock at night and one of the great things about you know the adventure of the washing machine you know that it's empowered me Keith I can like if someone says to me in the morning hey let's go to Singapore and open a cabbage takeaway I'll go okay let's do it (laughs) and I just I just feel empowered you know I'm not I'm not a prisoner of fear anymore I'm not a prisoner of doubt I'm not a prisoner of sadness I'm not a prisoner of darkness like I am responsible for my life I made bad choices that were costing me, but now I line up a million brilliant choices regularly and great things happen, you know, really great things happen. Um, it's good. When did you, what's the timeline where you said, I, I, what happened that you said I need to stop drinking? Yeah, do you know, for publicity reasons, I'd love to tell you, you know, I was walking home one night and I fell into the canal and I woke up with three swans attacking, you know, I have have to tell the truth. Yeah, well, the truth was, uh, do you know what, I I played uh, tennis at the time and I played a league match under lights one night, didn't finish till about half 10, 11 o'clock at night. And um, I came home wired with adrenaline. Knew I had to, did you ever, you know, when you have to work the next day, I was like, you must go sleep, you must go sleep. You know, I have to sleep now, which is like completely stupid. You you can't do that, you know. So I did what I normally did was I poured it like a ginormous brandy and milk because I had um, I had read that uh, Brendan Bean drank it. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for Bean, it's good enough for me. Um, for anyone who's still drinking alcohol, it's the it's like a, an adult Bailey's. It's like adult <laughs> Bailey's, the very best way to describe it. But I had a massive glass of brandy and milk and uh, now I had adrenaline and I had alcohol and I had a crap night's sleep. So I was sitting on the bed the next morning and I said to my wife, uh, I said, that's it, I'm done. And you know the way, um, you know the way dogs can hear dog whistle, Keith? You know, they, nobody else can hear but the dog can hear. I reckon married men or people in a relationship have that similar uh, ear quality because um, my wife said, are you loved? That's great. And married men, what I heard that was, you couldn't if you wanted to, 
you're like, who are you kidding? You loser. Like you, you are addicted to alcohol. And, you know, like I say, there's no like massive moment. That was literally the start. Ironic, it was the start of things getting better. Ironically, it was the start of the worst year of my life because, um, Jesus, like, you know, but detox, it's like one of the main reasons I don't drink isn't because I don't let anyone down, isn't because it's good for my health, isn't because, you know, it's good for mental health. I'll be totally honest. The number one reason that I don't drink and I won't go back to drink is that detox was like getting my eyeballs peeled with chili sauce. It was just for me personally, it was horrendous. Um, I didn't I did a stupid thing. And if anyone's watching or listening to this, um, I didn't get counseling. But the alcohol level I was on, I should have had medication. I should have had supervision. Um, I did what a lot of things I do in life. Thankfully, it works out for me sometimes. But I just went at it bullheaded. I went, right, watch this, which was looking back now, it was a stupid, dangerous thing to do. The positive side of it is it's kept me sober and will keep me sober. You know, I see alcohol you know if i if i had some if i was in your house and you cooked a sherry trifle and there was actually sherry in it i will spit it out on the spot and the cold sweat will come out of me i'd be terrified you know and um you know it's funny people say to me how long are you sober people who really are into it i tell them you know and i know i don't want to sound like an american country and western song but i'm just sober today i am i know it's 14 15 years something like that honest to god i'm sober today and honest to god yesterday I would have drank brandy out of a dirty sock. I was watching Cheltenham triggered for me memories of pub, friends, crack, kebabs, horses. I wanted to drink yesterday, most of yesterday. First thing I did, though, was tell someone how I felt. That instantly reduces the chances of me drinking. But, uh, you know, the 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 nature of the addiction is that it's with it's with you forever. I'm like I had an operation. I had um, an operation on my shoulder and I had prostate surgery this year. And in both cases, the doctor said, you know, you know, take this painkiller. And he was giving me a prescription. And I said, look, is the codeine in it? And he was like, yeah, you'll need codeine. And I was like, can, can, can I get a lesser prescription or can I get something without codeine? And he said, have you a codeine problem? And I said, not yet. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he, he didn't really get it. You know, he was like, you know, you used to be an alcoholic, he said to me. And I think that's one of the crappy things for me about it, too, is, do you know if you get really bad diarrhea? Like, I mean, combustible, Chernobyl, glow-in-the-dark diarrhea. In a day, it's gone, you know, or toast or a ret or whatever you take and you're over, it's gone. The Pardon the pun, but the shitty thing about being an alcoholic is this is me forever. And that really bugs me. You know, I, I can't say I've left it behind me. It's going to sit right here and it's going to be with me till my last day. It's part of me, you know. Um, I, I will be honest, that annoys me, you know. <laughs> the um, But it's interesting what you say about the coding because... Uh... Like we all do that, I think, and I think not enough people admit it. You mentioned cough medicine uh, yeah. with, with vodka, and we all find these things. I remember at one point my, I discovered that my wife has hay fever and she takes these hay fever tablets. And I discovered that if I took two of these hay fever tablets, that it would, when I went, when I went to bed, I'd take two hay fever tablets, they'd fucking knock me out. Because I, yeah. I had trouble self-soothing, putting myself to sleep, you know, and these just fucking knocked me out. So I went through like, I remember discovering this. I was on holidays. I was like taking these, but but like but anyway, I, I, it turned out that it was really bad for my mood, and I'd be fucking terrible mood the next day. I don't know. I don't really know how. But I was constantly looking for. If it wasn't drink, it was like codeine, or I was, you know, I'd be on medication. I'd be on painkillers or something, or I'd be you know 
seeing what my wife is on and maybe trying a bit of that or so you know there's always so something so something in the mix you know it's a weird it's a weird thing yeah yeah and i, I do you know what we had we had elderly parents my, well, my mom and dad my mom my dad is still with us my mom passed away but um yeah, I, I can I can echo that because we go and visit the granny or granddads and uh, I don't know what it is about Irish GPs, but when they give the granny or the granddad a painkiller, they tend to give them like a box of 85. And uh, that was, yeah, something that I would have done frequently. I think it's just, it was just a walking disaster. You know, you were just limping from one drug to the next, to the next drink, to the next drink. And it consumed everything, you know, like if I was going to, like I love rugby, um, like if Ireland were playing, Ireland are playing this weekend, say it's half two, three o'clock. Like if I was going to the rugby match on a Saturday, three o'clock, I'd definitely be in Dublin by Friday evening, six o'clock. You know, and I would drink solid until two o'clock. I would be going to the Jacks that many times during the game, I wouldn't see the bloody game. Or I would start to tell one of my long-winded jokes to my brother or my friend, which could take 10 minutes, I wouldn't see the game. Um, go to the toilet, my round, go to the match. So I pay 85 euro for a ticket that I never really saw the game. And then I couldn't drive my car or go anywhere until about three o'clock the next day. And I thought I was at a rugby match. Like that's crazy. But now I go to a rugby match. Yeah, but now I go to a rugby match. I go early because I love the warm up. I watch the game. I savour it. I laugh at all the poor fellas, you know, whose bladders are exploding going in now with 20 pints of Heineken stuck in them. And um, the mad thing is when I go home, I probably, because I am an addict, I probably will have the game taped and watched a second time and appreciate it, you know. Mm. Uh, but that's that's the difference, you know. It's one of the things that obviously because of lockdown I haven't done yet, but my, I do go myself and my three three cousins of mine, they live in Scotland and London and Oxford. And we meet up for the finals of the European rugby finals, basically, the weekends. And we, we, we go yeah. to that every weekend. And the last... The last time we went was Newcastle and I came home with a fucking, I'd fallen over and I came home with a black eye and a, and a big scab on the side of my face. Just, oh. just, just, just in time for the family holiday in Italy. So yeah, uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that weekend. I mean, I'm not bothered about, I'm happy if they want to drink or whatever, but I'm kind of looking forward to, it, the part of me is really looking forward to it. And then part of me is like, ah, oh, fuck, I'll miss, I'll miss the, absolute fucking craziness of being so drunk that you fall over and smash your face against the wall you know yeah uh, but you know do you know the nice thing keith is there'll be enough people around you to supply you with that madness and it won't cost you any money and it won't make you feel sick and it won't cost your happiness like uh, I, I go to the Heineken cup finals as much as we can um like i remember was toulouse we're playing stade francais and we were in edinburgh we bought tickets as sad leinster fans hoping that sometime we'd get to the final but i remember walking back from the stadium in murrayfield there was two monster guys in front of me and they were obviously wired with beer and everything else, and they were passing a ball to each other. And one guy decided that he threw the ball into a into a petrol station, and whatever way his brain was working with alcohol, he decided he was going to tackle a petrol pump. So he dived full length, shoulder charged this petrol pump, knocked the shoulder the petrol pump half off its moorings, and then realised he'd broken his collarbone. You know, and. Um, like that, the madness. Yeah, look, I, I, you know, I, it wasn't all. I do, I do miss the crazy times. You know, I do. I, I remember coming out of Lansdowne Road. My brother, he'd kill me for telling you this, but, you know, he wasn't drinking this particular day, or he drink a lot less. And I said, you're very quiet today. And he said, why do you prefer me when I'm manic? And I said, yeah, a little bit of crack is good. You know, and I bent down to tie my shoelaces and, um, and uh, Dublin Corporation, you know, the little little electric uh, bin truck, the guy who empties the the litter bins. 
he pulled up and he was he got his key out and he was emptying the bin and my brother hopped in and he drove off he stole the bin truck and he's i can still see him driving down Lansdowne with this bin truck waving at me but yeah i look i have happy memories but you know it's it's like your best friend died in a way you have to adjust to it Mm -hmm. you know it's a different way of living um when i stack up but when I stack up all the positives, I stack up all the things that have happened to me since I got sober and since I've stayed sober. Like I, I like I, 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 like I was in my garden one day and I got a phone call and um, I answered the call. This woman said, hi, I'm Sonia Sullivan. And I was like, yeah, you are, you know, but it was Sonia Sullivan. And she'd heard about this Irish guy who was campaigning for mental health charities and anti-suicide charities. And he was carrying a washing machine. She just rang me up to say best of luck. And I ended up talking to her about the Olympic Games and you know her life what like what what an adventure you know or you know when i was walking from belfast to waterford i got to sit in lucan in the first pieta house with joan freeman and she told us about her life story and how she set up pieta house and why she did it um you know I, i've met the most incredible inspirational like people that i would never have met so like it's well compensated um I think, being honest, like sometimes, I don't know, sometimes people sort of talk to me like I'm Mother Teresa, which I'm a little bit uncomfortable about. They, they have, like, they nearly have me a saint end until I say something highly inappropriate or very dirty. And then suddenly they go, oh, I didn't think he'd be like that, you know. But, like, I'm really honest with people. If someone's watching this and you're struggling, like, the really number one best way I've found that's helped my sobriety and helped my mental health is to help others. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I, I work now as a speaker, like I make my pay my bills by inspiring people with stories and, 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 pre- and performing. That's what I do. But every single month um, I will do like this month, I would have done three or four charity gigs because um, like my dad, is he's he's great wisdom. He's not too far from where you are right now, Keith. He's an ace. But like he'd say to me, um, you know, having money in the bank is great. But if you don't have something in your whole in your soul, in your heart, like the money's pointless. You know, if you don't have a sense of value or a sense of um, making a difference, well, then life can be pretty empty, you know, and he's right. So like I, I do charity gigs regularly because it helps me, you know, and um, it, it, it's, it's, it's great therapy, you know. How did you make them? What was the transition like from, okay, giving up the booze, giving up your day job then I'm doing this full time how did that all happen um I had a company called study skills Ireland and I was teaching <laughs> I was teaching people how to do get better points in the leaving cert without you know being stressed and panicky and I still I still do that but I was down in Glenstall Abbey and um there was a parent of one of the kids came in and he the principal said can this man sit in and listen to you talk so he listened to me talk and um he came down to me, like he was supposed to say 10 minutes, he stayed about two hours and he said to me, I just paid someone loads of money in Geneva to speak to my banking team, uh, my senior management team in the bank. And he said, um, the themes you spoke about were identical, only you did it with far more humour and far more charisma. And he said, you should think about opening different aspects, you know, opening up to different opportunities in, as a speaker. And I suppose that was the start of it. Like, it's mad. Like, during lockdown, I got some work with Leinster Rugby, which like for me was, you know, boy's dream come true um you know i was thinking actually earlier there about you know i got a i got i got a booking for TripAdvisor. i was over in london before COVID with TripAdvisor's world sales team and it's you know it's a really interesting thing from a from an alcohol point of view so i i i, I always come home because home is home I, I just feel safer here and happier here but um 
when I came back from London, my wife said, how'd you get on? And I said, oh, the presentation went really well. But uh, she said, you look exhausted. And I said, I didn't sleep. And she said, why? And uh, I said, because I spent the entire night in the hotel room pacing up and down, fighting my demons. I said, I wanted to fill the bath, get a large bar of dairy milk chocolate and go down to the bar and get a bottle of brandy and sit in the bath. You wouldn't know. Nobody would know. I was in London on my own and I could do this. And she said, did you drink? And I said, no, I didn't have a single mouthful. But I said, I literally was cold sweats all night and dying, you know. And um, I was, it's funny, it's funny, like I was talking to this friend of mine who works as an addiction counsellor and he was, we were talking about people who relapse or go back drinking. And he said, one of the common things is, you know, there's a perception that, you know, your best dog, your, your best friend dies or your cat explodes and you have a few drinks then to get over it. But he said in his experience, a lot of people relapse uh, for the exact opposite. So I couldn't make sense out of the blue why I felt like this or why it was so terrible. And he said, look, working for TripAdvisor, that's a big gig, you know, and you got lots of money. And I said, yeah, I got lots of money. And he said, you were delighted with yourself. I said, yeah, I was really proud of myself. You know, I was like going off to the airport, with, you know, pretending to be someone important, you know, and I even parked in the short term car park. <laughs> you know, I didn't give a damn, you know. Johnny Big and, um Johnny Big Ball, yeah, but... But um, he said, that's the way our brain, your brain is chemically wired that your that part of your brain said you deserve a reward. You know, you deserve a treat. You're you, you've worked really hard for this opportunity. Why not have a drink? You know, but uh, thankfully I didn't. You know, that's that's my next uh, my next issue now is the chocolate. I've uh, I've swapped out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give up takeaways, chocolate or gambling. Uh, I, look, I, I'm doing really well to stay off the booze. Uh, no, you need a vice in your life. You need you need you need something bad, and I have plenty of bad things. Keep, but um, yeah, look, the, the booze, the booze. You know, it's like I say, it's going it's going to forever be there. But um, you know, so far so good. You know, uh, yeah, very interesting to hear that that you, you know you had that night of uh, of cold sweats and not being able to sleep. That it just it's it, it's it's heartening for me because. Uh, I, you know, it's it. It's always there, and I always feel I know I'm better off. I, I don't think I ever, and it's not about. I'm not comparing, but I don't think I ever got to. The, I, I was never a spirit drinker, so I was never drinking pints of vodka or whiskey. Um, but I don't want to go back to drinking, you know. And I really want to, but it's always kind of there. Like, well, I could. Like, it was never that bad, you know. It's always sort of you're always talking to yourself about it. But I really, really would. I really. You know, really do you know? Do you know your worst? You know your worst day, your lowest point. You know the days or weeks. You don't have to tell me, but you know the worst times when you felt it was terrible and you were really genuinely knew you had a problem and you needed to do something. Mm. Like, I would. Oh, my God, I would kill for a, a beautiful glass of Chianti with a giant steak. And, you know, the, the, the you take that first sip of the Chianti and it hits the back of your palate and there's fumes go up your nose and you savour it. Or like I had the most beautiful brandy glass that was like wafer paper thin so I could transfer the heat from my hand to the brandy melted toffee. I would I, I, I sometimes kid myself and say, do you know what? I'd love to have a drink or, or I could do if I promise myself I'm only going to have one but then it will be okay. But I know me, I know who I am and what I am. It might be one this week. It might be next month. It might be next year. It might be five years, but I know for a fact, I will end up back where I was. And I also know for a fact, I don't ever want to experience that again. You know, um, you know, when I speak to young people, particularly, you know, you know, 
I warned them that if you, you know, if you don't look after your happiness and don't look after your mental health, it's a serious price to pay. You know, I've 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 lost my happiness. I've lost my way and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's it's a nightmare to think that you're, you know, a lot of people think losing your hair is a problem. It's not. A lot of people think, you know, you lose a job or lose money. Psh, like money is paper. You can make it again or you can find more. But if you lose your happiness, um, mm, very hard to find good. it again. It takes a long very time. Very hard to find it. And who do you, when you're just for other people that might be listening and for myself as well, there's, you, you, you mentioned there's someone you call when you feel like you're, you're going to have a drink. Is that just, is that just a wife? Is that a person? Is that a friend? You don't have to tell me if you don't want to. Oh God, it's nearly always, it's nearly always the wife, but it could be my kids now. Cause like my eldest is, he's 25 and my next is 22 and they're old enough now to understand it. Um, the wonderful thing is they would have been preteens when I stopped drinking and they don't really have any memory of me drinking which is lovely, you know, but, um, you know, I was talking to my daughter last night about drinking and she's, you know, she was talking about some friend who was, you know, gagging for a big night out. And I said, yeah, big night out. I said, for big night out, probably 150, 200 euro. My daughter looked at me, she said, dad, what are you talking about? I said, what would you spend a night out? She goes, 25. She said, kebab, taxi, maybe one drink or two drinks. And I was looking at her like she was in eight. I was like, what? Jesus, are you really my daughter? You know, I bought her three cans of, of cider the other night for the lockdown because she's living at home with us and I don't want her to feel she has to be a saint, you know. But um, she's about 10 days before she drank the three of them. Mm. I would have been 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I think it seems like they have a different attitude towards it and, and, and with the help of God, they do. The worst thing about it, and uh, I, I won't keep you too much longer, but the, the thing that I hated about drinking and people talk about oh i can't i gave up drink because i couldn't manage the hangovers i gave up drink because i could i was a weekend drinker so i wouldn't drink during the week if i was working at all um so i was friday night saturday night drinker sometimes sundays or whatever and then holidays that was it that was my drinking time um but i i, I gave up drink for for a whole year and i so I did, I did what's called an experimental weekend where I drank what I normally would drink in this just isolated weekend in the year, Friday, Saturday, mm. my normal amounts of drink. And then what I noticed in the week after, I, was, I can handle hangovers. I can get up. I can have a shower. I can, you know, I can brush my teeth so much that I almost like, you know, brush them the, the night before away and just fucking force myself to get on. What I couldn't, what I, what I forgot about <laughs> was the impending sense of doom that I was, something terrible was going to happen. It's called, I suppose people call it the fear, but I'd have it for the whole week. I was a bad person. Something terrible mm. was going to happen. I'd done something terrible. The fucking cops were coming for me. I was going to like, just yeah. fucking doom. That's what I don't yeah. ever want again. And that's what I don't. And that's what I think. Yeah, it's like it's extreme anxiety. Like it's um, I was trying to explain to someone like I, I used to have very bad panic attacks and nightmares, particularly when I came off. And um, like I would sit, I would sit in the bathroom from maybe two in the morning till six till sunrise. Uh, I'd have gone to bed at nine or ten, but the nightmares would have got so intense. The terror, the, that panic you described was so intense. I couldn't close my eyes. And I'd wait until the sunrise happened. And when sunrise happened, I could put on a nice shirt and jacket and suit and get up and pretend to the whole world that I was fine. Mm. But I was like a small child sitting in the bathroom waiting for that daylight because I wanted to escape those demons. And, you know, um, 
like I had a nightmare three or four nights ago. Um, but the maximum disruption to my night was maybe 10 minutes because I know how to cope. I know how to relax myself. I know how to distract myself. You know, I've learned technique and I had a pretty good night's sleep with the exception of that 10 minutes. Like I'm in charge of my anxiety. It's not in charge of me. And you're right. You don't you don't want to go back there, Keith. I mean, like I was I was describing to someone, you know, someone who does hasn't experienced it. And I was saying, do you know, if you ever come to a junction in the road and someone almost takes you out of it and you and you just take that massive gasp of breath and you have a massive bang of adrenaline. Like I said to someone, imagine that for 10 straight days, all day for 10 straight days. Or, you know, I know it's very graphic, but I say to someone, the level of fear I was in, it, it was I can only imagine if I saw my family being tortured in front of me, that's the level of terror and heart rate I was at, you know. Um, it's funny, you know, that people assume because I work as a speaker that, you know, you're really confident and really, ha- you know, you never get nervous or anxious. Like every single time, including talking to you, I before we came on, I went to the toilet, no joke, about six times. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lift my arms because if you saw what's going on down my back and side right now, Niagara Falls, I'm terrified, right? But it's part, it's just something natural. You know, I, I rang my wife, I was doing a gig up in Drogheda and so I can't remember, a beautiful theatre up there, huge big theatre. And it was a lovely green room and I went in and I rang my wife and she said, how are you? And I said, I'm dying. And she said, what do you mean? You're sick? And I said, I'm so nervous. I said, it's, and this is like, I'm working at this six years now. And she goes, you're nervous? I said, yeah. And she said, great. And I said, well, you old witch. I said, I rang for like, you know, you, we love you and we believe in you and you can do this. I said, I rang for a bit of encouragement. You know, I love you. And um, I said, why do you say great? And she said, it just means that you care. And it means that this is important to you. And it means that you bring something to it. She said, the day you're sitting backstage and you're going, another one. She said, you should come home. It's not going to work. She said, what, what, the reason people are listening to you or the reason people are enjoying your message or enjoying how you speak about it is because it's genuinely you and it's passionate and it's, you know, warts and all. And she said, I'm glad you feel like that, you know, and, um, you know, she's my, one of my friends was slagging me. The book is called I'm Fine, Keith, but but. One of the publishers, he actually said to me, you know what, you should call it Maeve because most of it's about your wife. He said, you know, about that she clearly was your rocker. She clearly was the person who got you through this. And I said, yeah, 100%. Um, she was the first person to the top of Kilimanjaro. She walked every single step from Belfast to Waterford. And like, you know, hopefully, you know, if you listen to this, you're in a good relationship. But there's very few where the husband comes home and says hey love I'm planning to carry a washing machine the length of Ireland I'm going to write a book and you won't see me except when I talk about the washing machine and she went go for it <laughs> and that you know equally like I remember the day I came home and I said I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro the world's tallest freestanding mountain with a washing machine you know it was she's a superwoman. like it's um, I should tell you Keith to be honest too I didn't get to the top of Kilimanjaro so I got to about an hour and a half two hours from the top and I had a such extreme mountain altitude sickness that um, I was wearing an oxometer, you know, the little red light on your finger. And I had dropped to 75, which in Ireland, you'd be in an ambulance and gone to hospital. And um, scary as it is, uh, I knew I was dying. Um, if I kept going, the medical team, it was game over. And, um, you know, our message was share the load, ask for help. Your life matters. Your happiness matters. And I had to survive. You know, imagine if the guy who was campaigning for mental health, you know, made a crazy decision and ended up dying on the mountain. I just had to come back. So 
it was the Africans and my friends and family that got that washing machine to the top, you know, and um, I was extremely grateful. You know, I, I, I still look at that photograph of my washing machine, um, my beaker washing machine up on Kilimanjaro with the tricolour and all those fantastic Irish and Tanzanians that dragged on the mountain crossfitter in her early 30s and uh, she lost her life that night on the mountain and um, you know when we came back um, like we all realised how dangerous you know, how tough a situation machine um, So we came home from Kilimanjaro and I was, you know, the news broke that there had been an Irish death on Kilimanjaro. And I was in my kitchen, the phone rang and uh, it was the RT news desk. And uh, I don't know who the reporter is, but uh, they said uh, it is. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever asked you if you died before. So they had obviously got half the story, you know, and yeah. I said, um, I said, I really paused for a second. I went, um, no, I'm, 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 I don't think I'm dead. I'm fine. I'm fine. But like, it was crazy. It was like the whole thing was me. How messed up are you? And this was pre-COVID. Everyone was wearing masks because there's so much scree that you get your car. This is awful, but your bogies start to bleed and your nose is bleeding and your ear, you know, it's gravelly, gritty dirt. And we were walking along and uh, my wife said, how bad are you? And I said, pretty bad. I'm, 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 and she said, what kind of things do you see? And I said, I can see Indiana Jones. And um, I have witnesses. Harrison Ford and his wife were in the car park in front of me, had just come off the mountain. Like, I mean, mad. You know, you're going to, you're going to listen to that. And you're going to say he's definitely back on the whiskey. But yeah, it's, it's completely mad. Like, like, what do you see? I think I can see Harrison Ford. Oh, there he is over there. Like, like how? how, how <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy stuff. You know, it's crazy. You know, the first day was what five or six Karen tools consecutively with a washing machine. And I slept on a slope, didn't sleep that night. So the next day, by about 11 o'clock, I was carrying my washing machine and uh, basically I passed out and then I puked and I realized I was in real trouble. I puked all over my wife, which she wasn't very happy about. So the medical team were looking after me. And this is really weird. There was a, like <laughs> it sounds like a bad cartoon, but there were two vultures sitting on a rock looking at this Irish fella on the ground dying with his washing machine. <laughs> and um, some of the Tanzanians walked past. And one of the Tanzanians, he said to me, Akuna Matata, uh, you know, the classic line from the Lion King. And I was about to tell him where he could stick his Lion King. I was pretty annoyed. But I didn't realize that the Lion King, the characters in it and the language in it is all Swahili. And it's, you know, they're genuine words. And when he said to me, Akuna Matata, what he was saying to me was, everything will be okay. Everything works out. You know, don't worry. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed talking to you today. And you know, if I was to say anything to, you know, someone suffering with mental health issues or addiction, I, I would say, you know, behind every dark cloud, no matter how crap the storm you're stuck in right now is, no matter how hopeless you feel, you know, behind those clouds, I often say to people, there's beautiful, beautiful sunshine. And all you've got 
to do is is keep moving forward. Like Belfast to Waterford with the washing machine in my back was a nightmare in that I lost all of my toenails. I lost my fat pads. I had hallucinations. I had extreme nausea. Um, it got really hard when I broke both of my feet from walking constantly carrying the washing machine. But the decision I had on the ninth marathon, you know, it was the same decision I had on the first day. It was just take one step forward. And, you know, if you're struggling or if you're having a tough time and if you've listened to this podcast, honest to God, look, take it from someone who's walked through the dark clouds. When you get out the other side, you'll never walk back. You know, you'll enjoy that sunshine on your face. Just just keep hold on, hold on and, and things will improve. My broadband won't uh, improve. That's the only thing. Apologies to everybody for the little glitches and lags there, here and there. And, um, yeah, I could have taken them out, but, you know, it would have taken me, like, four days. And uh, I think it was was okay. I think people, I hope people, you know, it's almost like normal at this stage, isn't it? Certainly isn't me. I'm totally fine with it. Uh, thank you very much to Enda. Do get his book, I'm Fine. Um, as he said, it says I'm fine, but uh, but his face on the cover says otherwise. Enda O'Doherty, I'm Fine is the book. Out now, go and buy it. Do yourself a favour, give yourself a treat. And um, yeah, what the, what a, what a crazy motherfucker. But uh, it's, it's just, I just... Just there he is working in a school assistant principal drinking pints of whiskey and hiding bottles of wine and just getting out like it's mad it's mad the things we do it's mad the things we can hide it's mad what we disguise and also then it's insane what we can achieve when we stop pretending and hiding and I mean you know sometimes like I as I, I've as I mentioned and I've mentioned a lot like I haven't had a drink in a year but there's sometimes where I feel like f- fuck trying this hard and working so hard and just like maybe it's better just to enjoy things just tip away at something and you know enjoy a few drinks or you know I mean obviously not to that extent but it's hard to know I th- I also think that if you stop drinking you, you you get so much more time you get so much more energy you've got you know you're getting you're getting through the work of what used to be a week you're getting through it in a day you're getting you're like ringing people you're answering like I just wouldn't ring somebody back or take me I'd procrastinate or I just wouldn't get around to doing something I'd put it on the long finger whereas now you're like bang 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 that's that done Monday Monday of everything done for the week what's next and it's not like you do it's not like you sit back then then Tuesday you do all the work for the following week and then you just so it's breakneck Um. And uh, even today, my wife said to me, you're just mad, aren't you? You're just relentless. <laughs> I think I drive her mad. Um, I must calm down. It's too much, probably. Too much. Go back, booze. Uh, 
pick take up um, doing the odd bong in the afternoon. Just take a hit of a bong and then chill out. Be worse things you'd be doing now. Worst things you could be doing. Anyway, that's it. Uh, thank you very much to Endo Doherty. Um, I do not condone the use of bongs unless you know where they came from. And uh, yeah, that's it. Um, I'm fine as the book. I will wrap it up. Thank you very much for listening, as always. Really appreciate it. There is a, a button there on the description of the podcast if you want to donate a few quid. Be very grateful. We're trying to get this little animation done. Um, as soon as we raise the money, it might be next year, we'll get it done. So throw us a five or a ten or fifty grand, whatever you can afford. And uh, yeah, if you like the podcast, recommend it to your friends, give us a review, favorite review, please, and share on social media. Uh, if you're listening to it, that'd be great. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much to um, John Connolly, who I like to mention every now and then because he. He gave me the. He showed me around this podcast, technology stuff. So I really appreciate that. I wouldn't be here today without him. And uh, thanks as always to Acast. This is part of the Acast network, the Acast Creator Network. So thank you very much to those guys. Great support. And um, I'll leave it at that. Mind how you go. I've got to go and upload a very special chat with me and my friend Mike. Or Mike interviews me about me. Yeah, it's quite good. I enjoyed it. And he also asked me some questions that my children and wife had sent to him to ask me. So that's coming up next. If you've listened, if you've just finished listening to this, if you want to listen to this again, go ahead. If you want to listen to another one, it's uh, the one I'm putting up on the same date. Me and my friend Mike. I think you'll enjoy it. I gotta go. I'll see you. Okay, goodbye. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Stop it now. Stop. Stop. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.